You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'd like to bring a message here. Title is Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. You know, we live in a troubled world. There's a lot of things that um, are going on. We look at the the things that are the trouble that's intensifying. Uh, it's definitely going to be a year. T- 2020 is definitely going to be a year we'll remember in many ways with with COVID. And uh, COVID is real. It's uh, it's good to see Dan back again. But you know, you you look across the the world and look at the fear that has set in. There's something just troubling. The whole world is. You know, all the riots, think about all the riots and the protests that are taking place this year, the anarchy that, that has risen. Uh, it just, it's just a, definitely a year that's going to be remembered. And with all the, the you know, the election and, and just the turmoil that that brought and, the, um, and seeing that how divided the country is and the, the amosity there and you know what's going to happen what's going to happen the the troubled hearts i believe if there's any time that we need this uh scripture this uh let not jesus admonition to let not your hearts be troubled is today in 2020 you know and we can ask the question you know these words that jesus gave to his disciples are they for us to today do they apply today and as they were written for that in that time but yet definitely they do apply today. We can, I believe they're as pertinent today and for us today as much as they were for the disciples back then. When John 14 was written, it was a very troubling time for the disciples. They, um, they, were at, they weren't at rest. They were, they were troubled. I mean, I believe Jesus saw their hearts were troubled. They were uh, upset, and, 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 and he's telling them largely because of one thing that he was telling them that he's going to leave them. He's, been, he's telling them, and this makes them nervous. He also tells them that he's going to die. Uh, and he's, he's telling them that some, one of them is going to betray him. And he's telling them about P, P, Peter, he's going to deny him. And, uh, and, and he, Peter said, no, he'll never do that. And Jesus says, well, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you will do, deny me three times. So these, the disciples were troubled, and it, they were rightly, rightly so. I mean, the idea, they all left to follow him, and the idea of Jesus leaving them was unbearable. I mean, they, how could they reconcile their expectations that they were expecting him to do with him leaving? It was, uh, they were thinking earthly. But Jesus begins this, uh, these, this chapter 14 with, Let not your heart be troubled. You know, he's saying, I'm going away, and you won't be able to see me anymore, but don't let this trouble you. Uh, now, this was Thursday evening, probably within 24 hours of his crucifixion. And Jesus had his own trouble to deal with, his own agony. And this is just before he's dropping sweat drops of blood in agony of what the crucifixion is right ahead of him. But he's, his heart, his tender heart here is turned towards his disciples that were troubled. He gives them promises to calm their hearts. And, um, and, and we want to look at these promises this morning. And just as the, as the uh, we, what we want to do is go through these verse by verse. And we want to look at the promises that are in here that Jesus gives to his disciples. 
You know, the Bible is full of promises. Somebody counted up over over 7,000 promises. And that's a lot of promises. But the big question is, what do we do with them? What do we do with them? You know, are they sitting there on the end table or the nightstand in a book, promises of God? Or are they on the wall, in the, in the, uh, the scripture plaque on the wall? Or are they in our minds and our hearts? You know, when we, when we, our minds, we, we think about them and we, they need to be settled in our hearts. And that's what Jesus wanted of his disciples that when he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And so this morning we want to look at these verses here and, and look at the promises that are uh, very vivid. Jesus gives the promises for the disciples and they're there for us today. Now John 14 is, uh, is in the middle of his, his upper, upper room discourse. And that is a, a, a time when John 13 was when Jesus instituted the, uh, the Last Supper and the, the feet washing ceremony. And, he, and John 14 and John, and John chapter 15 and 16 is all in the same, the same setting. Jesus, it's extended extended teaching. And, uh, and there's different times we see that Jesus gave extensive teaching. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables was a, a, another setting. And then we, we have the, uh, when Jesus was on Mount Olives and overlooking Jerusalem. And he gave the, 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 uh, the last the discourse on the last times. And here, this one is a little different because this was just the disciples. This was not, his public ministry was over at, the, at this point. This is the last time he's spending time with his disciples. And, uh, and this is a very intimate time with Jesus and his disciples. And we see that uh, he's behind the closed doors with his 12 and he shares them with them these promises that we want to look at. And it was intended to calm their troubled hearts. It was in t- in, intended to bring the, the peace that he talks about at the end of the chapter. So I'd like to, we want to go through these verse by verse. Uh, hopefully we can get through them all and we're going to uh, go through speedily. But we want to look at pulling out the promises that Jesus was giving for, to his disciples for troubled hearts. So let's read the, uh, I think we'll read verses, um, not all of them at one time, we'll just read them as we go. I think I'm going to read the first six verses at this time, John 14. It says, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also." And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here we see the first, the let not, is a command. Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. It's it's a plea. He's telling them, don't stop letting your heart be troubled. And our hearts are the innermost part of our being where we are. That's who we are. And uh, Jesus detected their hearts were being troubled. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, they didn't have trouble believing in God whom they didn't see. He said, believe also in me. And John, all through the gospel, is declaring to, that Jesus, that he is God. That he is God. They're one. 
The entire gospel was about that, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus, and we'll see this over and over through these verses. You believe in God whom you can't see, he's invisible, and, uh, and none of them have ever seen God, but they believe in him, and he's saying, you're going to have to believe in me the same way. You're going to have to believe in me the same way when I'm gone. And, you know, it was unlike us. They had the privilege, the disciples had the privilege of walking with Jesus for those three years. What a privilege. They saw all his miracles. They saw everything. They were with him. And uh, Thomas was the one that said, I will not believe unless I see. And he was saying, we must believe completely. We must believe in him completely when he's invisible and we, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit in it, it, itself, too. Uh, and we're going to be looking at that. But the first promise now that we see here is in verse 2. Is the promise to, have, to calm our hearts, their hearts, and in our hearts. Is in my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus turned from, let not your heart be troubled. And he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. He's not talking about the tabernacle. He's not talking about the temple. He's talking about heaven. Heaven is a real place where God lives. Jesus is at his right hand. The Bible talks a lot about heaven, over 500 times. And he says, in my Father's house, and Father's house, and just in this discourse is used like 50, some 53 times. Father, Father is used over 50 times in this discourse. And so Jesus said, heaven is my Father's house, and it's home for God's children, Home for God's children. In my Father's house are many mansions. This word mansion, this Greek word here is translated grand, mansions in King James. But other translations would, would uh, call it rooms or uh, it really means abiding places. Uh, abiding places. It's the, uh, the same Greek word that's used in verse 23 where Jesus says, If a man love me and keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That abode is the same word as mansions, and that's the same Greek word. So it's it's rooms. It's rooms. Uh, You know, in in ancient times when children would get married, they would, uh, what, build onto the house. The father's house got bigger. You know, we see that in... You uh, middle, middle East people in our area here will have multiple families living in the same house. So my father's house has many dwelling places, many dwelling places. And really what it's saying is there's room for you. Jesus is saying there is room for you. It's a, it's a big house, many rooms. It's a family. And this is the, my father's house. And he's preparing it. He's preparing you know, when Jesus was on earth, he worked as a carpenter. And now that he returned, before his earthly ministry, and now that he returned to glory, he's building a church here on this earth. And now he's up there, he's, and he's making a home for his church in heaven. That's what he's doing, a home and church for heaven, in heaven. You know, he was the cornerstone, he was the builder, he's the architect, it's... Uh, He's everything. Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you. You know, think about this. Think about it. What is it going to be like in the presence of God? You know, Revelation gives us a lot of detail about what heaven will be like. The angel told John it's 1,500 miles wide and deep and high. 
That would be, you know, if you think about it, from the Great Lakes down to Florida is under 1,500 miles. And from Florida out, or from the East Coast out to South Dakota. So that's a 1,500 miles and cubed. 1,500 miles high. It's huge. You know, in the Old Testament, it's interesting that there was the, the outer court and the, uh, the, uh, the holy place and the most holy place. And the most holy place was a cube, 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet high, a cube. And the Bible tells us that heaven is going to be a cube likewise. Now, in heaven, there'll be no outer court and there'll be no holy place. It's going to be all the most holy place because God's presence is going to be there. In Hebrews, it tells us that the, old, the, uh, the, the tabernacle and the, the temple was a pattern of heaven, a copy it was like heaven. It was like that. So this, this place called heaven is, is, is um, you know, we can, we can spend all morning talking about it. What is it going to be like? Are we going to be subject to gravity? You know, uh, what about the new heaven and the new earth? What about the new Jerusalem? You know, John was using a lot of uh, descriptions, and, and he, was, he, was, he was trying to describe what heaven's going to be like. And it seems like he ran out of symbols and comparisons. And then he ends it by saying, you know, he lists things that won't be there. You know, there's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any crying. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any night. There's, and, and God is going to be light. So heaven is described, you know, in a lot of different ways in the Bible. Heaven's described as a country in Hebrews. A country, maybe because of its vastness, it's described as a, a city in Revelation. Maybe be, because of its all the inhabitants, uh, it's described as a kingdom. Uh, it's described. Jesus described it himself as paradise because of. Think about the, the descriptions in Revelation. It's very beautiful. It's streets of gold, all kinds of precious stones, and in this scripture that we're looking at, it's described as a house. As a house. And, and it's family. It's family. God's children. God is preparing a place for his children. Peter talks about, describes it as an inheritance, a gift. So in light of troubled hearts, when we're thinking about let not your heart be troubled, we must keep this in perspective. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Jesus says, where I go, you, where I go there you may be also. There, you know, so, and then he goes on and says, if it were not so, if it were not so, I wonder why he said that. You know, if it, if it wasn't true, do you think I would say that? You, you know, he says, like, of course not. He, it's true. It's reality. It's true. It just hasn't happened yet. And then he says in verse three, uh, verse three there, he says, I will come again. The promise of the second coming. You know, he came down, he came down, he will come down from heaven. He will raise up his followers from the grave and escort them to their, follow, to their heavenly home. You know, at the, at the ascension, Jesus, uh, when he rose, uh, when, he, uh, when he ascended into heaven, it says the disciples were there and they just watched him go. And they watched and they watched until they couldn't see him anymore. And then the, uh, an angel appeared and said, you know, men of Galilee, what are you, why are you staring into the heavens? The same Jesus that you, as you have seen him go, he's going to come again. And here we have this promise that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. You know, some of us will go through the valley of the shadow of death. 
And I believe somebody, I believe that there could be people in this room that will not see death. That Jesus will come and will be changed. And, and, and like it says there in, uh, in Corinthians. So, but G, the reality is Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Paul calls it our blessed hope. Our blessed hope of Jesus returning for us. You know, he could come at any moment. We believe it's intimate. Uh, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in any president. Our hope is not in any politician. Our hope is not in any party. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We're looking for Jesus Christ. He's coming again. Am I watching? Am I waiting? Am I looking? Jesus is telling his disciples, just because I'm going away does not mean that everything is over. We're going to see that unfold here. It's not over. It's just starting. And then Thomas says in, uh, in verse 4, doubting Thomas, you know, the one that's questioning things. And, and he says, you know, he's the one that says, you know, show me or how or why. You know, he's, he's saying here, he says, but Thomas says, we, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? And so he has an honest He has an honest question. He don't know. Jesus said, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, no, I don't. I didn't. He he wasn't getting it. And then uh, Jesus did say, you know where I go and the way you know. And uh, and he he turned. Then he turns this question, his question into an exclamation. It opened the door for Jesus to give this outstanding truth. I am the way. The truth and the life. No man, no man comes to the Father but, my, but by me. This opened the door for Jesus to give this gospel in a nutshell. Jesus is saying, I am the only way to God. I am the only way to God. Everything else is a dead end street. You know, Buddha is not the way. Allah is not the way. Any religion, if we believe on the authority of the word of God, any religion that does not have Jesus is false. Jesus is the way. Now, he's going to ex- get a lot more specific as we go on what he expects what is in the way. But Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he says, uh, you know, a lot of places he says, I am. So we can look at, there's a lot. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is, here he says, I am the way. Jesus simply isn't teaching the way. He's not pointing the way. He is the way. He is the way. And as we were looking at in our Sunday school lesson this morning, the the Christians were called the people of the way. The way. You know, uh, Matthew talks about the the broad way and the narrow way, and the few that be there that find it. So no man comes to the Father but by me. Any religion that does not have Jesus as its way is a false religion based on the word of God. So Jesus says he's, he's going away. He's, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says in verse, um, in verse 7, If you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Jesus said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth thee. Jesus said unto him, Hast thou been with me so long, hast thou, have I been with you so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? 
He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And now sayest, how sayest thou then, show us the Father? So he, Philip here is saying, show us the Father and it suffices us. He says, you keep talking about your Father. Why don't you just show him to us? And, you know, that's, that's all it would take for us to believe and to, that that's what he wanted. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long and you haven't figured this out yet? You know, he that has seen me has seen the Father. When you're looking at me, you're looking at God. I am the Father. We are one. Why do you say, show us the Father? He was giving a gentle rebuke. You know, Philip was the one that wanted to try to, he wasn't like Thomas that's doubting everything. He's just trying to figure everything out. And uh, just like when they're feeding of the 5,000, you know, he's the one that thought, you know, this is going to, he's the one that thought, figured it out, that it's going to take eight months worth of wages to feed these people. He's figuring it out. And Jesus gives, after the rebuke here, he, uh, he gives, let's read verses 10 and 11. Jesus gives an explanation. Believe thou not that I, I am in, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So Jesus gives a rebuke here, and he gives after this he gives an explanation. And what Jesus is saying is there's really no difference between the Father and the Son. Both are God. Both are God. It's just like the Trinity, you know, with our finite minds, you know, it is hard to understand. It is beyond our understanding. But we have to believe it and accept it by faith. We have to believe it and accept it. The word believe there in verse 10 is directed right to Philip from Jesus, and it's singular. The verse in, in verse 11, it's plural, and he's addressing all the disciples. He's dressing all the disciples and us. He's saying, going, go on believing. It's ongoing. Let our faith grow. Let our faith grow. So the promise here is that we can know the Father right now. We can know the Father here. Jesus and the Father are one. We don't have to, for us, for the disciples, that for us here today, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to get to know the Father. Jesus and Father are one. No, we find this word no in John's gospel over 140 times. And this word no has a lot of varied meanings. This word no could mean just knowing a fact to a, the most intimate relationship. Knowing, knowing. And, and what Jesus was wanting to us, and he wants for us today is that we can know the Father. We can know him. You know, I believe Jesus, I believe God wants three things from us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love him and he wants us to obey him. And that's going to come out here in our verses. So there, so there we have, uh, uh, no, uh, the, uh, the, the promise here that we can get to know the father right now. And then he moves on to, for his work's sake in verse 11 Believe me that I am in him the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is talking about, uh, Jesus names this his works as testimonies to the fact that he and the Father are one. You know, the disciples had the, had the privilege of walking with Jesus and seeing firsthand the miracles that we didn't get to see. They saw the firsthand the miracles of the power of God. Jesus is saying, Father and I are one. Father and I are one. You know, when we look at the mighty miracles, we see the power of God. And when they looked at his sinless life, Jesus' sinless life, you know, they saw the holiness of God. And when they noticed his compassion and his concern, they saw the very love of God. He's saying they had the privilege of seeing Jesus firsthand. And he's saying, believe before my very work's sake. You saw it. And then he goes on and talks about greater works that they will do. Jesus was announcing that he's going away. And, uh, and he makes two promises to, the, to strengthen his disciples as they set out to do his work. Number one is that they would have greater works, that they would do greater works than he did. And he, number two, he says, any, any prayer offered in his name would be answered. Any prayer answered would be answered. Now, first of all, let's look at the greater works. How can anybody do greater works, greater miracles than Jesus did today? How can anyone uh, do something greater than what Jesus did? Greater than multiplying the food. Uh, greater than calming the storm. Uh, greater than raising someone from the dead. And I, I think it's talk, these greater works that we shall do are, is talking about something else. You know, it's not talking about greater in magnitude, greater in power, but it's talking about greater in number or greater in extent. You know, as Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he was saying that he expected them to continue on in his work and they will do even greater things, greater things. Now, Jesus... Was, was limited to his, th- his three years. Think about it. Jesus, his earthly ministry was about three years long, and he didn't get much further than outside of Palestine. And, and 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he had about 500 believers at, uh, at his crucifixion there. And Jesus is telling them, what he's telling them, this, it's not over. They're thinking things are over. Things look bad. He's saying, Jesus is saying, no, this is just the beginning. What you're going to see in this next phase with the Holy Spirit coming is much greater things, much greater works, more far-reaching. And we see that at the, uh, at the Pentecost when 3,000 souls were saved in one day. 3,000. And today, the gospel is preached all over the known world. Souls are being saved Many souls are being saved, maybe not in the United States or places, but there's places in the world where many people are coming to Christ in great numbers, and that's the greater works. That's the greater things. Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Things are going to get better. They're not going to get worse. They thought this is getting going bad. Jesus is saying, this is going to get good. This is going to get good. And then he says... You can ask anything in my name, and I'm going to do it. Now, first glance, it looks like a blank check, right? Ask anything, and I'm going to do it. But there's a qualifier. 
And that qualifier is in my name. If you, anything you ask in my name, that will I do. Now, Jesus was leaving them, and he talked about the greater works that are going to follow. And now he says, ask what you will, in my, and I would, I'm going to do it. Now, let's, let's think about the disciples. They were following Jesus. They saw him multiply the food. They saw him, uh, when Jesus provided tax money, uh, he helped them with their job. When he said, throw your nets on the other side. You know, they leaned on Jesus for everything. And what Jesus is saying now is, my absence doesn't mean I'm unavailable. Just because you can't see me doesn't mean that I'm unavailable to you. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it. Prayer is like what closes the gap now between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, my absence is not, does not mean that I'm unavailable. But this verse is misunderstood today. But we have to remember the qualifying statement. Jesus says, anything you ask in my name. It's not a magic formula to add Jesus' name onto anything and then it's going to happen. But no, this means that we are to be praying. Uh, when we pray, we want to find out what the Lord is up to. What he, how can we be part of his program? That's praying according to his name, according to his character, according to his will. In, according to his will, according to his purposes, and for the glory of God. Uh, we want to be in, we don't want to have our prayers self-centered about ourselves. It's about his name and his will and for his sake, what he's up to. And, and uh, he's, uh, so prayer is a, just a, a good remedy for our troubled hearts. You know, when we think about the, uh, the troubles that we can, that can happen, the troubled hearts that we can experience, prayer is a good remedy for troubled hearts. How does the song go? <clears throat> oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Re let's remember absence, Jesus' absence. For the disciples, it was Jesus' absence does not mean unavailable. And the same way today, Jesus is as, as, he is as available to you and I as he was to the disciples when they walked by his side. When they walk by his side. And we see the another promise that we come to is of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, let's read in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth in you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye are in me, and I in you. He that keepeth my commandments, and keep, he that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him." So the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is, in John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father that he would, the Holy Spirit would be sent. We know it was promised in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I will not leave you alone. It's all about, this is all about Jesus leaving. And he says, I will not leave you alone. I am going to give you a comforter. 
This word comforter is the Greek word parakletos. It means uh, coming alongside to assist, to help. You know, one who advises, exhorts, and comforts. That's what Jesus was to them in their, when he was here on this earth. And now he's saying, I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's a helper. Uh, some translations would use encourager. It's also translated advocate. Same thing. Standing by our side. Helping, pleading our cause. You know, lots of amazing things that they saw Jesus do. Uh, like we said, the feeding of the, calming the storm. And Jesus was guiding them, instructing them, comforting them. And through his earthly ministry, and in the same way, the Holy Spirit will stand by your side. That's what he's saying. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he says, and it will do the same for us today. We can, you know, in verse 17, it says, he will be in you. It's in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain individuals for certain tasks. New Testament, the Holy Spirit is available to every child of God at conversion. Every child of God. And he says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. And that word simply means orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. That's how they felt. They were, they were going to be orphans. But Jesus says, to the, you know, we're, you're not alone. We're, you're not abandoned. You're not helpless. You're not hopeless. We're, uh, the, the, the Spirit is going to be with us, and we don't need to feel that way. We, today, we, we have... We are not comfortless. We're not orphans. Again, absence doesn't mean unavailable. Jesus is telling them, because you, just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not available to you. And that goes for us today. Just because we can't see him, he's, he's available. He's there for us. Hebrews says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And now that probably didn't make sense to them at that time. But it is true. He, is, he will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, there's no need to have a troubled heart because the very Spirit of God lives within you. And then in verse 26, it talks about the, the Holy Spirit yet is that he will teach you all things. We could spend a lot of time on this. But he will teach you all things. Think about it. These 12 disciples, they were fishermen from Galilee. And when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came down, they pulled off the whole New Testament. Uneducated fishermen. Well, Paul had a big part of that. We we're talking about in Sunday school. But it was the Holy Spirit. It was, it was not them. They didn't do it on their own. And it was far greater works than what Jesus did when he was there. It was great. It was things were happening. Things were happening. You read books of, the book of Acts and you'll see it is the acts of the Holy Spirit. Things were happening. Now in verse 21, there's a verse that Jesus used and it's the word manifest. He will manifest himself, uh, manifest myself to him. Jesus uses this word and, uh, see did I read that? In verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, this is Judas uh, the other Judas, son of uh, James, he says, How is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Honest question. 
Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me keepeth he, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, but the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which, which sent me. But these things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So here Jesus uh, is using the word manifest. Now we know the Holy Spirit is given to the child of God at conversion. And the world does not have the Holy Spirit. But I think what he's saying here is it's more than just that the Christian has the Spirit and the world doesn't have the Spirit. This Jesus saying, I will manifest myself to you, is connected to our obedience. And our obedience is connected to our love. Jesus' answer to, uh, to Judas here is profound. He says, the one I manifest myself to, and that word means to show, to reveal, uh, are those, the ones I manifest myself to are those that love me enough to do what I say. Obedience is what opens the door to intimacy and satisfaction. You know, when you see a person that's panting after God, that's hungering and thirsting after righteousness, God is going to show more and more. And, 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 then, and the opposite is true as well. He's not going to show uh, you more if we don't apply what, we already has, what he already has showed us. If we don't obey what we already know. And so if we love Jesus enough to put into practice what he says. And where we find that is in the word of God. So when we read his word to find out what he says and we apply it. He's going to show us more and more. And the, and the opposite is if we don't apply what we know. He's not going to, he's not going to reveal more. Uh, when we read his word. And obey it, it's out of a love relationship. And that obedience opens the door to intimacy and satisfaction. And we grow and we grow and we grow, as the children's song says. We'll grow until we get to heaven. I believe it's when we see him face to face. Verse 23 says, if a man loves me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come onto him and make our abode with him. With this kind of Christian who loves and obeys God, I believe we'll not be shocked when we get to heaven because the intimacy started here, making our abode with him now. So we need to be the type of Christian, the kind of Christian to love Jesus enough to find out what he says and to do what he says. And he's going to reveal himself more and more. He's going to manifest himself to us. So we don't have to have a troubled heart when the Spirit of God dwells in us. I think I'm going to stop here. We'll pick up on Wednesday night on the uh, one more promise here in verse 27. But Jesus is saying to his troubled disciples that we, uh, he gave them promises, these promises, and we have to claim these promises. We can claim these promises today. They're good antidotes for troubled hearts. Number one, we must keep heaven in perspective. 
Keep heaven in perspective. Heaven is a prepared place for a, prepare, for, uh, for a prepared people. Jesus says, where I go, you, there you may be also. We need to be looking for his second coming. Another antidote is not to worry about the here and now, but to have our eyes on waiting and watching and looking for his second coming. We can know the Father right now. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We don't have to wait to heaven to get to know the Father. And uh, something else that was permeating in these verses was the love of the Father. And a good way to ease a troubled heart is to bathe it in the love of God. Prayer is a remedy for troubled hearts. It closes the gap between heaven and earth. And the very spirit of God dwelling within you, no need to have a troubled heart. And the one we're going to pick up on Wednesday night is the, the peace of God. The peace of God. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And that's the... So, in 2020, we can have calm hearts because of these promises that Jesus gave his disciples and that are there for us today. Let's stand together, have a word of prayer, and then we will call for a song, and after that we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness And love, we thank you for your promises anew. In your word, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the connection that we can have through prayer. Help us to be uh, in your word, applying your word to our, our lives, and that you will show us more and more. Thank you for your tender heart with the disciples in the same way you're tender with us today. Thank you, Lord. May your blessing rest on each one that is here, and may you go with us. May we be a bright and shining light for you. We pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.